from 11FS, I'm David Breer, and this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we bring you, as the dust settles from the RBS Remedies fund pool for the A results, we take a look at the fallout. Goldman Sachs takes a bite out of the credit card market by teaming up with Apple. Ooh, biggie, that one. And finally, we have a story that is Lithuania reveals their Top Gear-inspired strategy to become the fintech hub of the world. All this and much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 301 of Fintech Insider. We're coming to you live from the 11FS offices in Devonshire Square, London. My name is David Breer, and I'm increasingly getting bassy in this one, so you're going to have to bear with me as, as we go through this. I'm joined today by my colleague, Sarah Kaczynski. How's it going, Sarah? It's good. It's, as usual, been very, very busy. I'm trying to count out how many podcasts we did in the last, like, 10 days, and I lost count. So, um... Well, just, just the fact that actually last Wednesday when we were doing one in Canary Wharf, which I think... Like the sort of leveling of this is kind of breaking my brain slightly when that one's going to come out, whether it's out now when this one goes uh, anyway. So, but yeah, Busy. like since <laughs> since last Wednesday, I think we've done a million, which is yeah. uh, all fabulous though. They have been like, uh, and how's your week been? My week has been, as I said, busy. Um, been digging into some client projects this week. It's been really nice to get back to basics and do what I actually is my day job, which I tend to forget, which is be a researcher proper heads down stuff is that what you do i know i (laughs) I thought we did just did this my title is head of research but i just it gets lost by the side you know it does and we we could do this for hours yeah we we? could uh, but really we should sort of talk about who our our guests are and there's quite a few of you guys today so thank you everybody for 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 joining us so we have first we have uh nick bortot who is the ceo of bucks how's it going nick very well thanks for being on the show no worries. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, where have you flown in? Have you flown in today, or have you just flown in from Amsterdam? Yep. And, just uh, for us. Just for you. Aww. <laughs> there was a pause there. I, I think you were telling the truth, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Max, who is the CEO of Finimize. Max, how do you say your second name? Uh, they asked me this last time, and I told them try. Uh, Rofaga. Uh, close, uh, Rafaga. For Rafaga, damn it. Uh, do you know Simon what? I did it actually a little bit better than you. Do you know what? I, I, jumped, I jumped on YouTube, saw a thing of you, and you it just introduced yourself as Max. It really annoyed me because I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I tried to get ahead of this, but I just yeah. couldn't do it. I you gave know? up. Um, next up, we have uh, Nick Megal. Megal. Megal, <laughs> who is the retail banking correspondent for the FT. How's it going, Nick? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for coming. Are you um, uh, looking forward to getting into the show today? Yeah, make a nice... Um, it's been a bit of a busy week in the FT office as well, so this will be a nice break. A relaxing thing instead of that. And last, we have Damien Richardson, who is the Head of Product uh, and New Customer Digital Propositions at NatWest. How's it going? Great. For, thanks very much. Grateful for the invite, and uh, thanks for having me. No problem at all. All right, well, let's get into the news. So first up, we have a story that's over on PYMTs. So this is Metro Starling and ClearBanks are the winners of the 280 million RBS bailout award. That's one hell of an award ceremony that they must have had for that one. That's uh, pretty cool. But uh, the last part of that is that CYBG and TSB have been snubbed in this one. So dust's now sort of settling on the who's actually got it. If anybody was sort of living under a bit of a rock for this one, Metro Bank got 120 million, Starling got 100 million, and Tide and ClearBank in a interesting sort of tie up there mm. got 60 million. Damn, that's a lot of money. What, what do you guys think about this? So everybody should go and read my blog, first of all, on the like, 11FS yeah. blog site. That, Paul, that's what you should do, first of all. Pause this right now. Go read the blog. Come yeah, back. Come back. Because yeah. that, that's an explainer. I mean, I think that um, whilst, you know, some of us here in the industry have been, like, watching this very closely and kind of waiting on tenderhooks, a lot of people, uh, you know, the, the actual general public are like, what on earth is this all about? Um, I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of funny mistakes as well. Like, you know, RBS gives Metro Bank, you know, 120 million. And I'm like, mm, no, actually, it's not quite <laughs> how it worked. Um, for me, the only interesting one was Metro Bank. I think Starling and Tide and Clearbank I probably could have predicted, especially after Tide and Clearbank went at it together. Two challenger banks. Who's not going to want to reward that kind of as many as possible? Tide and Clearbank went at it together. I'm going to have to pick you up on that one, Sarah. You thought you were going to get away with it, didn't you? But it, it is interesting that actually so many challengers are in this, mm. isn't it? You know, like actually, you know, with uh, CYBG, with TSB not being in it, you know, Metro Bank clearly are a challenger still in this space. Yeah, I, I think very much so. T- certainly when you're looking at the business bank, Banking space. I think Metro Bank have, have um, made m- more of an impact perhaps there. Certainly, mm. if you look at, you know, I know, I know they, they almost in a way get criticized 
of being regional, but actually the places where they are are places with an awful lot of small businesses that are, are crying out for digital services. Mm, but do you... Um, sorry, we're going to just keep talking about this, guys. Jump feel, in. Feel free to jump <laughs> in wherever you want to. If you disagree with us, jump in. But isn't it interesting, though, that Tide, Clearbank, Starling are, like, national, whereas Metro really are just London? You know what I'd really love to know is if Starling and Tide are national because i know monzo is because i've seen their map of where their cards like are, are registered and used but i mean starling has only got like 460 retail accounts to monzo's 1.5 million so i'd actually really like to know where their customers are based if okay. anybody can tell me that i yeah. love statistics please send them to me people of tide get involved <laughs> i guess the question uh for us is um how much is it actually fostering competition in, in that space if you look at um specifically starling um Arguably, they are already fairly advanced when it comes to SME banking, uh, if you look at the fintech startup space, at least. Uh, and I wonder how much that will give, give them sort of a leap forward versus um, other upstarts um, and whether that's sort of actually perhaps decreasing uh, innovation and hampering uh, further startups coming out. Um, I think that's, that's the first uh, thought there. The second thought um, I'd be curious to hear people's thoughts on is uh, Metro Bank, as you mentioned, a uh, question of moral hazard, um, given the fact that they, A, I think just raised uh, $350 million, uh, to plug their holes from their little accident and are now raising some further debt. And accounting, accounting error. Yeah, yeah, yeah this, is what, this is what, I mean, I said I'd had a busy week. <laughs> <laughs> is this where you've been, essentially? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot of it. It was... I think a lot of people were quite surprised surprised by the choice to give them out because, I mean, there was more details came out this week. The actual capital raise was a couple of days ago, but um, we've known about the mistake at Metro for like a month at mm. least. Uh, it's been sort of all over the papers and it's how you've had big shareholders saying you should sack the chief exec, people saying you're going to have to totally cut back on your growth plans. Like, it's. It was a bold choice to then go, yeah, sure, you sound like the best option for... I sorry, I was just going to say, I think the point that we should mention is that this award was only for people who already had established business offerings. So mm. it was not like for those startups, that's the next round. I think that's where it gets a bit exciting to your point, mm -hmm. Max, like that's where the pool B comes in. It, it is an interesting point, though, that TSB have been pushed out of this, theoretically. You know, we're, we're essentially saying accounting problems are less bad than technology problems, essentially. I, I guess... If you're looking at the award is to build out innovative new services, then yeah, like technology is more important than an accounting problem. Sure, but if but, you've had a technology problem, you need the money to fix the problem, right? Yeah, but I, I think I think they are, my argument would probably be TSB have bigger problems than building out their business accounts right now. Very, very potentially. W one other uh, interesting, we were discussing this actually uh, in the office and uh, someone raised an interesting point that... Uh, you know, if you are trying to foster innovation here and and uh, and, and and further competition, uh, I guess the big question in the room is uh, Amazon and and how much can these smaller players like like a Starling and Tide etc. actually move? And uh, one someone on our team mentioned that uh, Amazon um, has now this uh, global lending business and they can approve a loan within one day, one day. Uh, with all the merchant data that they have. And I guess then that raises the question, how competitive are actually these startups like uh, Starling Tide, et cetera? Um, and how much does this actually move the needle in terms of the funding? I think uh, well, I'd like to hope 100 million moves the dial quite a lot. But, but it's uh, against Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I, well, that's the thing. They, you know, you've got hundreds of millions and Amazon have got billions, right? So, exactly. But I, I did like the fact that, so Tom Blomfield, who was on the show last week, CEO of Monzo, bizarrely correctly predicted that a, the, the Challenger Bank bizarre? would get a... Well, the news wasn't even out at that point. So he didn't, he wouldn't have had that information. So the fact that Tom did predict that Starling would get 100 million, I was pretty impressed with. So He had his crystal ball out. I mean, I think from the, the competition point of view and to your point about Amazon, um, yeah, they do lending well, but I don't think this is about lending. I don't think this is about access to credit for small businesses. I think this is more... So if you look at the proposition that maybe Starling has, um, it's actually only for sole traders. It's only for freelancers. Like what I've seen in my research a lot of people are crying out for is being able for, to have um, digital banking for multi-director companies mm. like there's only Coconut is the only as far as I know if anybody knows different tell me um, company in the UK that allows you to onboard digitally with multi-directors is mm. the, the only one out there um, and that is that is a huge problem that people are crying out for and on top of that it's less I think about the the lending is a big part of it I guess I, I was using that, lending as a hook uh, yeah sort but of I don't think Amazon are going to be able yeah. to provide the services that these businesses want holistically like I actually think the, the bigger threat is probably zero. I think if zero went and got a banking license, then we'd be talking about kind of like... 
It's the second week in a row Gary Turner's got a shout out and I know he listens so he was gonna get he's gonna get all excited while he's commuting again. So. He did tell me they weren't gonna go for a license last time I spoke to him but you never know. Well we will see. Yeah, all right moving on I think the um, second most interesting story this week actually and is one that um, I know a lot of the big banks have been uh, reasonably fearful that would happen at some point and now it kind of is. So this is Goldman Sachs takes a bite out of the credit card market partnering with Apple. Ooh, what do you guys think about this one? Like this, surely it's the boogeyman finally coming home, right? Well, what was not clear to me is, is, is it Marcus that's that's uh, issuing this card or is it Goldman Sachs themselves? Well, I, so Marcus, I have a bit of a love affair with Marcus. Really? Um, this is going to start needing a jingle, like it is, it's brought up it so often. Um, but um, my, I, I believe it will be under the Marcus brand because Marcus is their consumer-facing brand. And we've spoken to um, Omer Ishmael, who runs Marcus in the US a couple of times, and he says that that's their idea is to put all their consumer-facing services under Marcus. Um, the interesting thing for me with this is because it, it, it ties into Apple Pay and the, the, the theory is you could get all sorts of loyalty points um, and personal finance management. Anybody who's been watching Goldman has probably seen this coming. So they acquired um, Final in January, which was a, a credit card company based, a credit card startup. They've also got Clarity Money, which is a oh. personal finance management app. So if you put all those pieces together, Goldman was actually in a position to do a credit card on its own. And I think the decision to go with Apple is a really interesting one, probably because they're going to go off that demographic. Like That's what they want is a bigger distribution network is my theory, but I actually don't know that. Yeah, so I think we've seen some interesting examples in the past where we've had almost this co-branding going on with, with credit cards. It's not it's not a new phenom- phenomenon. I think what we are seeing on a different level is the integration into Apple Pay um, and the data that goes with it. That may be making a difference mm-hmm. and, and providing some new services. And that's effectively what could be the exciting piece of this rather than the, the co-branding or the, the, the partnership itself. Yeah, I, th- I think they're looking at almost um, at, so the, the, the additional features on top of what a traditional credit card and Apple Pay could bring. So uh, I, that's an interesting one, isn't it? The Whether there is anything additional over and above what they're doing with Apple Pay and all of the controls yeah. that they want to put in place. I right? think that's where the, the co-brandings really work. So we've seen some other examples, um, uh, M&S and HSBC, for example, um, Amazon Capital One. There's some good examples where they've gone, the, 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 the partnership has allowed them to offer new services that don't exist anywhere else. Hmm. Um, so uh, the, the Amazon example is is a good one going back to going back to the previous point as well sadly there wasn't any evidence of what the plastic looks like and sarah i know you've become somewhat of a plastic <laughs> expert over the last couple become of weeks a, a, a card card design guru yeah you um, know, give me give me a credit card with an apple logo on it that that would ooh. be pretty right. cool right now you see that'd be quite divisive i imagine because the last thing i'd want is a credit card with an apple logo on it why well because i don't like apple for a start well, then this is not for you but, right well, the, but the interesting point just, to, just can i just make <laughs> she a point says using an apple <laughs> it's not my choice believe you me it's not my choice um Apple Pay. That's not, that's not true. Eleven FS is an equal opportunities <laughs> you, organization. You can have Apple products. You can have we've all got, sorts of stuff. We've got that recorded, right? You've got that, Alex. Um, just an interesting point to get back to the idea of Apple Pay. Actually, Apple Pay in the US has quite low traction. Like only twelve percent of all Apple Pay users are actually in the states, despite twenty-one percent of iPhone users being there. So I think this is actually part. I mean, I think Apple needs this as much as Goldman does. Yeah, but, but I, I think Apple is uh, kind of bridging uh, a gap here. I mean. I guess a lot of people just want to want to use their cards, and they uh, the app, Apple Pay is maybe a bit too early for a lot of people. So I, I think this is a great move of Apple. I, I wonder uh, if it is that. I th- and actually, to your point, Sarah, I think the you know the the payments through Apple Pay in the US are so low because POS terminals in app in the US are terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, having anywhere where you can use contactless was like a miracle thing that I kind of came across. I, th- so, I think there's another aspect to that as well. That I think it's interesting that they're doing it in credit cards, mm. not like debit cards, because I mean, the branding opportunity, this crossover thing is, I think maybe with debit cards, because they're fundamentally fairly similar across whoever you go to, maybe you could choose someone because you like hot coral rather than turquoise. But like with credit cards, people basically pick either based on their current bank or what has the best points or the best special offers or something. And so doing something where they can team up and offer something on top mm. would be a better way of getting people to... But I also think in the US you have a much stronger credit card culture in any case yeah. and I think uh, that just sort of plays into that. And interestingly, I was in uh, the US uh, last week and whenever you try to get, do any kind of... Uh, contactless payment whether it's with your phone or with your card uh every merchant is just surprised that that even works have you come across like contactless and sign yet 
Because no. that happened to me oh, when I was in the States. Yeah. Like, like, I was like, uh, what, what is the point of the signature? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Yeah, I, I've, I've had that argument with many a people. I think I brought it up on the podcast a couple of times. And it's like, you don't win the argument ever. You know, if uh, you start explaining them, like, even the fact that your card doesn't actually have your signature on the back of it, uh, but they will still make you physically sign the thing. It's just, it's pointless. But it's strange how in the US, with, with all the uh, advances that they make, uh, payment uh, is so far behind, it seems. They haven't really adopted chip and pin yet uh, or way way be, uh, behind the uh, Europeans. Uh, Apple Pay, NFC, just is so far behind, specifically in the UK. It's 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 really mind-boggling. I, I, I don't really understand. Well, it, this is very rare for me, but I've actually read ahead on the show notes, so we're going to okay. come to that later okay. on. Don't okay. worry. There's, oh. like, hold, hold that point. There'll, be, there'll definitely be something. So, um, I, I guess one of the interesting things, and you come back to the plastic, is there going to be a plastic or not? Would be my, you know, in terms of Apple Pay yeah. and being virtual cards, etc. That's the interesting thing, right? In the UK... I would say they probably wouldn't need to go with plastic as well because enough people either use Google Pay, like if it's an Apple Pay type, they probably would. But if it was just a, a virtual card, we're probably much closer to the idea of a virtual card in, in the UK or Europe than we are in the States. Um, although in the States you can have virtual cards, but that's like a security thing, like you know the, 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 ran, the randomly generated token things. I think in the States you probably do need a physical card as well because as we've just yeah. said, like what's the point in having this arguably status symbol look at me i've got an apple goldman card and nobody being able to see it oh yeah. is it going to be a gold apple card like Ooh. i God. want one of these like i want one of the horrible really? no, come on <laughs> looks like an amex card but an apple thing instead what is in the middle of an oh the uh, centurion thing yeah, yeah i'm always slightly embarrassed using my amex card i have to say yeah. and cover it up but it's uh, also interesting i mean you mentioned the how how, how uh, much of a fan you are of marcus how with these kind of initiatives, these branding exercises, essentially, Goldman can now recover all the losses it made in terms of brand reputation after the financial crisis. And you seem to have forgotten all of it and are now a full fan. fan oh, no, 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 yeah. I have not. Ma- Marcus in some nice apps. <laughs> yeah. Sarah's like, yeah. I, have not, I have not forgotten the reputational element. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very impressed by what Goldman have done yeah. in that they went after 2008. We effed up. What do we do now? And from then to now, they have built a new technology platform. They have built a new brand. They have got millions and millions of customers, million, millions of pounds and dollars of asset, you know, deposits. Mm. Like, whether reputational, I, I, you know, I hadn't, I haven't, wouldn't care to comment. But in terms of what they've actually achieved, that's what impresses me hugely. <laughs> and bringing the brand to the UK. Well, but, but isn't Goldman that easier with a, with a big brand behind you? Oh, of course it is. Huh? But can you imagine how many banks after 2008 went, well, we're going to hive off a load of money and build a whole new technology platform? How many banks would have thought about I mean, that? How many Br- most, going, of, most of the Brits has just about stopped cleaning up the mess never yeah. mind building a whole new thing exactly so th- that's that's what impresses me i'd say i think i think you'll be surprised how many organizations actually are at that point now i, th- I think actually like 2008 was pretty much like that ma- major heart attack moment and most of them have started something whether they've actually publicly shouted about it or not i think is another thing the fact to your point the fact that they've actually got this live and the if anything, actually, the Marcus stuff that I've seen is the people that they, the quality of the people that they actually got into the, that organization was exceptional. So, which is probably why they got it to market and other people have still, you know, it's in a lab somewhere, kind of busy moving away. But talking about things and remedies and, you know, mm-hmm. making good on stuff, the next story that we have is, uh, have you got PPI? I'm starting to sound like one of those adverts that, uh, that I'll be doing on, uh, on radio. So this is, uh, Lloyd's have gone up, uh, another 750 million in their PPI bill. Uh, That's growing it up to 19.4 billion pounds. Good God. Um, I guess for the international audiences here, payment protection insurance was, uh, there was a mis-selling scandal that has happened over the course of, what? 40 years in the 1970s. Which is kind of scary. But, um, you know, being in that situation where essentially Lloyd sold 16 million PPI policies since 2000 and have now settled for, or put aside 19.4 billion to pay for the the sort of uh, remediation that kind of goes with that. Like, is this done? Or are we just going to keep seeing this running and running? I'm kind of bored of it, to be honest with you. I mean, theoretically, we should nearly be done because customers only have until the end of August this year to, to claim. Mm. Um, although I'm sure we're all going to get a huge increase in those cold calls, which are like, have you been missold? <laughs> you know, those, those really annoying. How they get your phone number is still beyond me. Um, I think, I, I mean, it just to me, it's just like the rumbling on of it just shows how 
ineffective the remedy has been. Like, why couldn't we just fix it and then move on? Why are we still trying to fix it? Do you know like, what? I, th- I think so much of this, though, is down to evidenceability of data, which is kind of bizarre, isn't it? Because it's not whether actually the product was missold or not. It's whether that the organizations can actually provide enough data to show that it wasn't missold. I mean, yeah, I mean that's actually quite baffling to me as well is that we we're not baffling I, the more I think about it the more I think about banks data systems it makes sense but like why why can't the banks just identify who these people were yeah. <laughs> like they should have enough data on me but I think it's it's a it's the classic example of uh, why people don't trust the finance industry and it's and it, it's really a shame uh, because uh, this is exactly exactly the fear that you have if you walk into a bank or talk to an insurance broker is that there's they're going to rip you off some, with some of the fine print or it, I don't even know whether it wasn't the fine print um and it really i think just tarnishes the entire industry um and and it's sort of all the stuff that we were just talking about how goldman and and apple are doing uh, in terms of sort of being progressive i think these kind of incidents just really foster fear and and mistrust in the overall system uh but obviously that creates opportunities for startups which is nice (laughs) (laughs) i think also that this particular situation has been exacerbated by the way in which it's it they um advertisers have been allowed to go about targeting people who may or may not have been sold so it, it was this one that had Arnold Schwarzenegger's head rolling around right <laughs> it was yeah. This one, yeah an advertisement from the FCA actually wasn't yeah, it yeah but the, I mean okay. that was about the deadline right yeah, yeah the, the FCA in all fairness I suppose but like the the fact that it's been people have just gone after it so hard and that almost in itself to me is something that needs to be curbed as well the mm. constant cold calling the constant advertisements you know and it, and a lot of it is targeting people who don't know any better and who are probably quite vulnerable well, at this stage, I think everybody's having a crack at it, though. Like, yeah. I imagine I, I haven't been asked, quite frankly, but I imagine a lot of people are just like, yeah, go on then, like, you know, just go and see what you can find out type thing. But, you know, the the fact that, what was it, uh, how many millions was it? 65, uh, 64 million PPI policies have been sold since the 1970s. Like, how many of these are just being sort of drudged up from, mm. like, say, whether they were actually missold or whether there's just a lack of uh, evidence around it. You know, I know this is purely talking about PPI, but I know that, you know, these these organizations feel slightly locusty, like the mm. thing that they're going to move on to next. I know there's been uh, elements of inability to prove the... Um, the uh, the attitude to risk for investment side mm. of things as well. So, and that's probably the thing that they kind of move on to next. And I know there's like investigations around packaged accounts and your level of cover. So it, it sort of feels like I think there's a lot of people kind of going back through you know paperwork to try and figure out what the next thing was. Mm. Yeah, so PPI has undoubtedly uh, uh, had an impact on the, on the trust on, in banking. And it's up to the whole industry, I think, you know, whether it be a, a major bank or a, a startup, to really rebuild that trust with, with the customers. Mm. Um, and that's where hopefully things like this will, will do that. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it, like I say, it will be interesting to see how far this one runs. It'll definitely mm. be interesting to see what, what kind of, I, I guess, what comes next. I'd like the final stats. I'd like because I love numbers by sort of like we wouldn't get them at the end of August but like maybe by the end of this year to know how much has been paid like how many people have claimed how many mm. policies were proven to have been missold just to have a look at you know when you're looking at the effectiveness of how you go about remedying some of these you know mistakes in the banking system well, and, how effective the particular remedies you've enforced in the past are well and whether PPI as a whole since the 1970s has actually been profitable for banks or not yeah that'd be really interesting it would I well, want the numbers exactly go dig into that one Sarah alright next up we have a story over on Bloomberg. This is the Swedish money laundering scandal continues. Dun, dun, dun. So Swedbank dirty money plot thickens after CEO analyst calls. So a Swedish public broadcaster published allegations that Swedbank laundered 40 billion kroner in a suspicious transaction. So that's $6 billion uh, for the nine-year period during which illicit transactions are alleged to have taken place. So the suspected laundering at Swedbank could be linked to a major scandal at Danske Bank and other money laundering cases. So they're sort of implying here that this isn't just an isolated thing, but actually a bit more organized. Yeah, I mean, going back to the idea of trust. Mm. uh, Wow. Uh, The Danske Bank thing, I've sort of looked into the details. In and of itself, the story is worrying in just how much money may or may not have been um, laundered. The Danske Bank thing was brilliant or, or also awful, depending on how you look at it. But they had this like one tiny branch in Estonia and they were found to have laundered like millions and millions of dollars through it. And Estonia basically kicked Danske out. They were like, that's enough. Like, out you go. And Danske went fine then and pulled out of Russia and Eastern Europe as kind of a result. They just left the area, the region. Um, mm. But the, the best story to me is this kind of analyst call that this, this Bloomberg thing is referring to. So the analysts asked uh, the CEO to, to reject the alleged the allegations 
And she said she couldn't. Um, but then she said that Bill Browder, an investor known for his crusade against money launderers, had assured the bank he wouldn't file a criminal complaint. <laughs> Minutes later, Browder said, that's not true. So Schwedbank had to backtrack. On Thursday, the financial supervisors of Sweden and Estonia said they were starting a joint investigation into the case. Seconds later, Swedbank said it hired EY for a separate analysis. And then the Swedish government joined in. Like, this whole kind of, like, domino effect of whatever was going on is... It's, it's, it's kind of amusing if you can take a step back. <laughs> I guess it raises uh, two questions. One is the obvious one is uh, corporate governance. Um, I guess also related to, to the Lloyd's uh, story before, but uh, you know how, how these kind of wrongdoings can just go uncovered for, for years in some cases. And I think then the second question, uh, or maybe the second point, is a bit more contrarian, which is uh, maybe the fines that uh, are charged to these banks aren't high enough and these banks just sort of view it as a cost of doing business um, and uh, just accept the fines and move on. And maybe it's worth it for them. Um, I don't know, speculation. But I think if you look at the other cases out there, I think the only real example in, in recent times where an individual was actually um, uh, charged was uh, the Goldman case in Malaysia. Uh, and other than that, most of the bankers got away fairly Fairly easily. Mm. I won't go into my uh, my theory about ritual humiliation again. <laughs> Nick, you had a point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so in the Netherlands, uh, probably you've, you've heard of it. ING got a fine of uh, 775 million euros for uh, for laundering uh, money. And uh, we, we're on we're on this fintech postca- podcast today, right? And we're talking about trust. And what we experience uh, as as bucks in the Netherlands is that. AML is so high on the agenda of 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 all the all the traditional banks but a lot of fintechs cooperate with these banks so this might also hurt the whole fintech scene because mm. uh, we, we have to jump through all kind of hoops to uh, to to um, uh, I wouldn't say this out too loud because we're still <laughs> we have partners in the Netherlands but to uh, to to please the AML uh, the AML uh, uh, teams um, so I see this as quite a, a negative um, a negative thing. Mm. The other story today that came out was um, Revolut again. So a second uh, breach by Revolut on the on the regulatory front that um, not only basically what it sounded like somebody had happened, they had turned off a system which would alert them to any suspicious transactions for about I think it was like two months or something. So somebody had just turned this system off, and uh, you know whether it was an accident or not, nobody in Revolut noticed that this system was off for that many months, and then somebody internally found out, went to the FCA and Revolut had to go to the FCA and explain what happened. Again, corporate um, governance, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, like, it, it's the big banks, but uh, just to your point, the, the smaller guys can have problems with this as well. Mm. Sure, so. sure. Although they, they're not a real small guy anymore. Well, yeah, that's very <laughs> true. Yes, I mean, yes, arguably they have as much, they should have as much attention There was uh, other story, paid. other <laughs> story today as well uh, that I read about uh, about um, treating, treating people. I think that's also a very interesting, um, I don't know if, if it's on the agenda today, but... Uh, yeah, there was. Quite, there's, there's I saw been, a lot of tweets about it. Yeah, there's been a. I think there's just a constant sort of uh, uh, stream of news coming out about uh, Revolut in one form or another, isn't there? Yes, and I, and I think you know whether it's true or not, whatever it is or not, this amount of bad press, whether it damages them or not, it could damage the industry because, as you say, if the regulators are saying, "Oh, if somebody as big as Revolut can make us an error as big as like turning off their mm-hmm. uh, suspicious transactions," uh, uh, sanction screening—that was it. The sanction screening technology they use—I don't even know how you would turn that off. But apparently, that's what happened. Um, Some, somebody just kicked out somebody, a plug somebody, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody unplugged something yeah. and it went wrong. But you know, th- that's not the point. The point is, if somebody as as big as that—and I'm saying that inverted commas—can have problems, and somebody as big as Fedbank, and then you look at the smaller guys, the regulators are going to be like, "Well." You all need to have us pay as much attention. I think the um, I think the the, the Revolut example is going to be really interesting because actually, you know, given given how the uh, the regulators have been treating large organisations from a fining mm. perspective, it's going to be fascinating to see whether actually because you know accidentally doing something or doing something on purpose or doing something in a grey area, you know, it's it's going to be yeah. fascinating to see how that that one actually pans out. I think. Yeah, I mean, arguably Revolut is at the size where they probably could afford the fines. To, to Max's point, like you know, it might not it might not make much of a hit to them. The interesting thing for me about this is always that the bank gets fined, but it's usually only a small number of individuals who've actually perpetrated it. Sure. I, well, I, I think the when you're paying a fine from profit or you're paying a fine from VC money, like definitely their VCs are going to treat it very differently, aren't they? That's very true. Yeah. I mean, it's fair enough that, you, you know, you say it's only a small number of people who are involved and the whole bank ends up getting uh, fined. But I mean, in this case, the current CEO of Swedbank 
was leading their Baltic business at the time that they were talking about it. Oh. So it's did a particularly tricky. That. No, I didn't know that. This is, the, this is the lady who on the call said she, she couldn't answer the allegations because she didn't know if they were true or not. Yeah. Mm. So couldn't or wouldn't. This is sort of an interesting line between those things, isn't it? All right. On that note, let's have a bit of a break. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to Fintech Insider from 11FS. If you can't get enough of us every week listening to the show, we've brought back Fintech Insider on air so you can see us too. Ooh. Mm. Um, so every Wednesday at 3 p.m. GMT, we will be live on Periscope chatting about the latest topics and trends in the industry. So keep your eyes on the 11FS Twitter for more news on that. Okay, on with the show. Next up, we have a story over on Finextra. This is HSBC launches PayMe in Hong Kong for businesses this time. So HSBC unveils PayMe for business app after their initial beta. Um, so HSBC is to run tests of its peer-to-peer banking app with 15 businesses in Hong Kong. So for anybody who doesn't know, the retail version of this was really, really successful. Like, you know, huge, revered yeah. by um, other organizations in that geography for actually uh, HSBC doing something that really sort of met a job that customers actually had in that region. So um, if anybody doesn't know, I, I don't know if you guys have spent too much time in Hong Kong, but everybody's house is essentially a, like smaller than the room that we're sitting in right now um and actually because of that it means pretty much everybody eats out all the time so things like bill splitting is like a really really important thing that actually hasn't been served for for quite a long time so interesting that this will be then started to be done for businesses i mean there's there's i have sort of two points around this um one i'd be very surprised if businesses aren't already taking it i'd be very surprised if, if, if anybody's been to hong kong there are so many tiny little businesses particularly like in in the food and drink sector that people haven't got a sticker up that says like use pay me to pay me I'd, I'd be incredibly surprised and because what we saw in the states is with things like venmo and square cash is that's exactly what happened venmo and square cash saw it was happening and went okay we'll launch a business proposition so i i think um i'd like to know who those 15 businesses are um brandon who works on our jobs to be done team and it's from hong kong said he'd had a look but couldn't find out yeah. um it'd be interesting because it feels like quite an odd uh, customer journey you know you're used to sort of interacting with the terminal essentially if your payments is basically going to be done through your mobile phone you can pay for anything wherever you are in the shop yeah, uh, yeah I guess it depends how they do it right so if you look at some of the payment methods they have particularly in China where they have QR codes that are scanned on your phone anyway that they're kind of all used to paying that way hmm. um, but to me I guess it kind of I, I don't know how they would set it up but it would be no weird and like paying somebody online i guess yeah I, I, I guess one thing that definitely always incentivizes hong kongers is the fact that actually they're going to be waiving the transaction fee so for the first <laughs> three months uh, they're waiving that 1.5 transaction fee meaning i think a lot of people are going to try and use this what do you guys think you know, so I think open banking and PSD2 will make an impact, particularly in the UK and Europe around this. So where we're getting account to account transfers. Um, so, for example, at NatWest, we tried something uh, with Carphone Warehouse. You probably read about it. And that was um, we had 45 percent take up of that wow. in terms of the number of transactions, which really surprised us. Mm. 
Um, and that's where we effectively use an online experience, um, uh, an, an app-based experience for the customer to pay and to validate transaction uh, instead of using a card. And it really surprises how how well the customer experience uh, improved the uh, the overall take-up. Yeah. Um, and we're also now looking at in the other direction. So this mentions um, a refund. So we're now looking at, okay, that's a, a good experience from consumer to business. But what happens if we flip it around the other way, a refund from a business to consumer, you know, whether it be a, a refund or a rebate. So it's almost pointing the APIs in the other direction and saying, actually, the consumer wants a refund. And that's we've got a pilot running now uh, just started this year. Um, where um, effectively using the open banking APIs in a, in a bit of a way that they weren't designed to be, um, but um, allows us to make that payment to the customer where we wouldn't know the, the customer's banking details. So I think it, it's coming. Um, and, and other banks have examples. Um, not, it's not only us that's doing this, and there's other pilots going on. But I think that with PSC2 coming out, um, with open banking getting more mature, particularly in the UK, I think we'll see more of this type of experience where it goes account to account, that instant mm. transfer. And, and so it surprised me that QR codes are, 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 are quite liked out there. So we, we did a charity um, uh, campaign using the same uh, same service and the QR code was one that sort of uh, met the experience uh, better than using an app, mm. which, which, which surprised us. It, the fact that uh, Apple iOS now allows you to scan a QR code directly from the camera made a lot of difference. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of learnings we can get out from these experiments. Um, and I think it's really the consumer that's going to drive the move here. Um, move if it's a move away from cards or move into a different way of doing it. I'm not sure, but I think there's new experience we can get out, and very much mm-hmm. I think across Europe, PSD2 is going to allow us to do that. Cool. What if I mean the the problem for me with this is it's HSBC to HSBC. So this was like how the first credit cards came about, right? Like you could only use a Barclays card at a bank that also banked with Barclays, which wasn't that much use if you had like 10 banks. So what, this is great, um, an HSBC pay me, but also you don't have to pay another HSBC customer when it's the P2P, uh, the sort of individual version. With the businesses, it looks like the merchant has to be banking with HSBC as well. So that is quite restrictive, I imagine, in where it can be used. If you're going to do some uh, build a system like that anywhere, Hong Kong would be the place yeah, to do no, it. No. I mean, it's, it's kind <laughs> of in HSBC. Yeah. yeah. I mean, strategically, because I would imagine that they would want to build it out over time and make it to a point where you can go every, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's in, but it's, I think it's interesting from a sort of strategic point of view for HSBC that they are trying to do more stuff specifically in Hong Kong, which is somewhere that like, to be honest, they've probably not had that much competition for the last however many decades of them stand chart a couple of others it's very concentrated even compared to somewhere like the uk yeah. and they've got new regulations coming in so like digital banks and so on are going to get a lot more and it's not going to just be startups either it's like alibaba and people i'm just curious on the competition point is there any risk with alipay moving into that space or alipay is already there and it's just not very widely used the biggest competition okay. for uh, for retail payments in hong kong is octopus which is their okay. um transport card but actually it's just a stored value card that you can use almost anywhere so you have an imagine yeah. being able to use your oyster card at any corner shop or at tesco um, and so people just top up their their octopus card, and then that is actually one of the most prevalent methods of payment, certainly for like small transactions. So if you're going to go buy a pint of milk, that's how you pay for and, it. And why do you think PayMe is going to do, or what's what's sort of the differentiation between PayMe and uh, Octopus? I don't know. So I think Octopus is actually, I think Octopus is a much bigger th- competitive threat to HSBC in terms of the payment side than... Um, yeah, Octopus is still a card. So essentially, you're still okay. using a tap card to kind of make payments You can't it. do it on your phone. Can you? Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize they developed it. But that's it's it's fascinating, isn't it? And to your point, I, I guess actually seeing people innovate in their own, their home territory, um, I guess, to your point, with all of the HKMA's new uh, virtual licenses kind of coming through, I wonder if this is them trying to like figure out how they innovate ahead of potentially losing some of that market share. Yeah, I mean, there, there are big companies looking at getting those new licenses. It's it's like Tencent, I think, have already gone in, Alibaba or Ant Financial gone in. And Bra- so. Brandon's, Brandon's literally just come back. We're out, we're out there doing some fun stuff, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that on another show at another point. Yeah, what I, what I like, I mean, I, in, in the Netherlands, we have a, a similar uh, uh, P2P banking app called uh, Tiki. Tiki literally means gotcha. And it's extremely popular. I mean, I didn't know that's what it meant. I love yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the child's game, you know. Um, and and one out of four people in the Netherlands are using it. Wow. And P 
people don't really perceive it as a as a banking app. They perceive it as just just like 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 you use WhatsApp, right? So therefore, I think it's extremely smart to 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 push an app like this and to to to, to build additional features on, on on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Venmo is doing it in the in the US. I mean, Venmo is also going social. And people are kind of bragging in the app about what they bought and showing that to their friends. So it's it's it it goes much further than just just payments. Mm. It, it's very un HSBC, I have to say, like the very um, unlike them to do something in only one geography. You know, they're sort of reasonably famed, and I know we had Andy Maguire talking about uh, about this. I have no idea which episode this was. I don't know, 30 ago? No idea. Um, but talking about the fact that every time they do something, it's going to be done in 67 countries at the same time. So the fact that they're actually focusing on one country and delivering a, a piece of functionality actually to a, a need rather than actually just a global kind Probably of view. Probably they're learning. Uh, well, there we go. Hopefully <laughs> so. Well, we will see, I guess. if well, I guess a, 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 like any sort of graph has to have more than one data point. So we'll, to, uh, me, to me, rolling, rolling something out in, in 67 countries doesn't really make yeah. sense. And I, I, I guess same time. Yeah, well, I sense. guess most of these don't have real-time payments. So I, I think that is a driver to this actually working. The consumer or the business can see it in almost real time. Yeah. Um, so that's why you're seeing various countries pop up with this type of, this type of service. Agree. All right. Uh, as if nicely foreshadowed earlier on by uh, by Max. Then uh, next up, we have a really really interesting story. So this is the U.S. might actually legislate against going cashless. I just pulled a face. Um. <laughs> I, like I think we just should let that settle in for all of the listeners right now. So this is from the New York Times. Uh, this legislation could force stores to take cash. And apparently there is already legislation in place in some of the states to actually make this happen as well. Like this is the same week where uh, I've literally seen, I think, two advertisements for the fact that stores where I tried to buy coffee are now definitely not going to be accepting cash over the next couple of weeks. Like this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, America, first of all, just like America, clearly like nowhere else in the world would this happen. Um, it has. Uh, where? where? Denmark? Denmark, really? Yeah. And I think technically China. So what, what I was going to say was what, what is interesting to me is that Massachusetts has had a law since the 1970s saying that businesses have <laughs> to accept both cash and credit. Why, why is this law there, I was wondering? Yeah, uh, since the 1970s, because what exactly. was the alternative at that exactly. point? Like cows? Or, exactly, yeah. Uh, I, well, I assume it's because people feared that when credit came in, they, I, actually, I actually literally don't know. Yeah. I just, it just baffled me that like they'd been doing this for that long. Um Sorry, to your point, Nick, like there are other countries that are looking at it and they're generally it's it's to protect vulnerable groups, right? It's uh, particularly that they have this problem in Sweden where there was a terrible fear that they also they were going to go cashless by, I think it was 2025. I'd have to check that. And the government all of a sudden went, ah, wait, actually, no, we can't. Because what happens to all those groups, particularly pensioners, actually, older people who have not been brought into the electronic system, literally wouldn't be able to buy anything. But I think there's also um, a... Um I, this is a, a speculation, um, but a question of... Uh, Good caveat there. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> surveillance, um, because obviously you cannot make any anonymous transactions anymore. And the reason why I, I raise that point is I'm originally uh, from Berlin, and Germans love their privacy, data privacy, etc. Well, they love that, cash as well. Exactly. <laughs> and they all love their cash because of the, exactly this point. They do not like the idea that everything can be traced. And so I wonder if, you know, with the notion of America and freedom um, and, and, and sort of the libertarian school of thought, maybe that plays into this as well. Um, even though I guess the rationale here is the serving the 10% or what was it, unbanked? which seemed like a strange way of putting it rather than to bank the 10%. Exactly, yeah. That's, that was going to be my point. It's like, actually, why not focus on actually making banking accessible to everybody rather than actually making cash? You I was know, thinking the same. Like, I, I don't know if, if here in the UK you have a bank for the unbanked. Uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, in France, there's, there's a company called Compte Nickel. Yeah, uh, you, Monies is what the one here is called, ah, but it's okay, the same thing. Okay. It's for people who don't yeah. have banks and people who yeah. don't, aren't UK Because I guess this is, this is great sure. to, to, to stimulate banks for the unbanked. Mm. Mm. Yeah, let, let the market force do, do its work. So I think you've hit the nail on the head, actually. Um, of course, in Europe as well, we have a regulation that says that banks must offer a free account and a debit card to anybody who wants one. Like, the e there is an EU law that says you must offer... A, people must be able to get an account without fees like that that is a, a law and a regulation 
In America, the banking lobby is incredibly powerful. They don't want to give up those fees for, for you know, they have some of the highest fees in the world in America, and they certainly don't want competition from the likes of Compnicle or Monies or whatever. So I would, I suspect that the American banking lobby might have something to do with this as well. I feel That's like, a suspicion again. I'm going to caveat as well because we're doing yeah, that today. We're being very litigious today, aren't we? I, I feel like, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch, we should give like somebody else's email out yeah, at some I, point. I don't yeah. want to be sued by the New Jersey legislature. Definitely not. I think they've, they're going to go hard on that one, aren't they? So... Uh, <laughs> So I guess in the UK, it's less about cashless. It's more about less cash. I think that's driven mainly from the consumer side rather than anywhere else. So the rise of contactless has particularly hit that and the rise of um, the, the likes of Square and other companies that are able to very quickly set up those terminals for you um, and able a small business or a, a, even a sole trader, um, an individual to take car payments. So I think we are... You know, we're seeing less cash, but uh, oh, I, I can't see a cashless society in the UK it, for, it almost seems for a number a bit, of years. Uh, sort of uh, counter consumer. I think Cash App um, was is the number one app in the US App Store, or for, at least was for for a while. What does uh, that do? I don't know it. Uh, that's the um, app from um, Square. Oh, okay, yes, Cash. cash. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think they were literally on the free pay, free free apps number one. So obviously, there's a huge demand there, um, and to then sort of put in legislation in place to counter exactly that consumer demand is almost a bit against free markets uh, to take it to extreme. It, it, Banking lobby. It, it's interesting because I think the, to your point, I think it's a surprisingly in a way slightly un-American way of trying to do it but it is I think a lot of different governments and countries around are trying, are grappling with these same questions uh, and sort of how to, I mean like we here we're going to have at some point in the next couple of weeks, there's quite a big report coming exactly on like how to preserve access to cash or whether we need to or what the way. I would be surprised if they suggested laws mm. to force this stuff. But I think there is a sense that either um, we need some sort of control to, to stop things really quickly changing and leaving people left out. Yeah. I, I know I know we're sort of a weird group in this sense, but like, like who out has anybody got cash on them now? Because I don't, I don't carry cash at all. I found a five pound note in the bottom of my purse the other day and I wondered how long it had been there. When I tried to unfold it, it told me how long it had been there. I also found an old pound coin in a handbag. That's how ready I use cash. Nice. All right, so that's three no's. Anybody no, else I have, got some I just no? checked. I don't have any. I must admit, I don't carry my wallet around with you anymore. There you go. So it's, <laughs> it's all on my mobile. Yeah. I, no, I hate to carry cash. We, we, we do a lot of business in Germany and there we, we really need it mm. surprises me sometimes that there are there are bars where you cannot pay with 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 your card but apart from that in the netherlands is completely cashless mm. that actually happened to me the other day i went into a corner shop to try and buy and it it was it was kind of a bar of chocolate or something and he said we don't uh, we don't take cards for anything less than 10 pounds i understand why they do that but i was like I have to leave it then. And he was like, what? And I was like, no, I, I literally have nothing. Like, I have yeah. to leave it then. It's fine. I'm not, like, upset about it. But I, I have not even the price of a chocolate bar in my purse. You should have just bought, like, 20 chocolate bars. That's <laughs> what I would have done. So. Yeah, I, don't, that. I was going to say, I just, I don't think you have to go that far out of London for that to become a lot more common. Though. We sort yeah, of get no, this quite warped view when you work in finance-related yeah. things in well, the city. Well, so I, I live out in the middle of the nowhere, right? I live in Norwich. So the only time I ever carry cash is to pay the taxi drivers in Norwich because they <laughs> never take ca- uh, they never take card in any way, shape, or form. Don't give me that face, No, 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 Sarah. that happened to me. <laughs> I, was, I was such a Londonite. I went to a conference <laughs> in Surrey, and I was like, it's Surrey. It's not that far away. That's and still I'm, London. Surrey. And I jumped into a cab, and I was like, you take cards, right? And he was like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, let's go past a cash point. And he was like, there isn't a cash point in this town. We have to go to the next town. So I literally would have had to have driven from the station I'd arrived at to another town and then back to where the, I was the, going. There was and a I, trick, probably. Well, possibly. <laughs> and then in the end, another in the end, I was like, well, okay, we'll have to go and try and solve this problem. And I was about to get out of the cab. Did you look for Uber? And Uber <laughs> doesn't exist there as well. I don't right? use Uber, oh. but um, another lady came. Uh, the, the, the minicab office was in the station, and a lady came out, and the gentleman who ran the station came with her and said, "Oh, she's going to the same place as you. Do you mind if you share?" And I was like, "Well, she can have it because I don't have any cash." She's all right. I've got cash. I'll pay for you. Really? I was like, this is what happens when you leave London. Wow. <laughs> so I owe that lady probably £4.50. So wow. if she's listening, let you me know. You go out of London and people pay for your taxi fare. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work for me. I think oh, uh, right. something about a shaved head and a beard. I look, I look a bit more menacing than somebody offering to pay for my taxis. <laughs> you know, very flustered. Exactly, yeah. Um, what are you guys, Dad, any more thoughts on this one? I was just going to say the other thing that it does come to, it ties into a lot of like much bigger issues. Um to do with sort of infrastructure in the UK, right? Because you say like, oh, taxi drivers in Norwich aren't going to 
be accept cards. Sometimes it's not them being like, oh, they want to take it all in cash so they don't have to pay the taxes properly. It's it's not there's always no, that. There's no, <laughs> a little bit, but the, you know, half the time there is no wireless infrastructure. Yeah. Like we have no broadband in half of the rural areas in this country. Like it's a massive barrier to, to yeah. and, using what we take, take for granted here. It's take true. it full circle as well. Like Mike's story about there not being a cash point. So we're taking the cash points away, but we're not providing kind of systems to replace them. So that's, that's your point, I think, about the report no, that's we, coming out, isn't it, about protecting access to cash. And just to go back to the point about Sweden, I think what they did there is they're not saying they don't want to go cashless. They just said they want to slow it down whilst they can get people up to that level where they are all banked and they are do all have access and then they might go back to it, which is what we're saying. It's a completely different approach. But, to what but what about my grandmother who doesn't have a mobile phone and who doesn't use internet? Yeah, hmm? I, I don't know how Sweden are going to solve it, but that's what they're trying to solve. Um, do you well, want to give a shout out to your grandma who doesn't have, like, <laughs> I mean, now, now would be the time, you she, know. She, but she doesn't. It sounds like she's not going to hear it. She doesn't, she, she doesn't speak English either, so. Oh, <laughs> man, we're going to struggle then, aren't we, really? But. All right. Uh, next up, and actually, we were talking about uh, Moniz a second ago. And do you know what? I, I realized somebody told me today it's uh, Moniz. Oh. Really? Not Moniz. That's so, never going to catch uh, on. Uh, it's not going to catch on. Just oh, refuse. Anyway. All right. So uh, story over on Finextra. This is Moneys or Moneyza, whichever way you want to pronounce that, teams up with Avios. So Moneys integrates with Avios loyalty currency. So this is the world's first current account linked with Avios, and it offers a new series of seamless financial services uh, and lifestyle management service for mobile people in, in sort of speech bubbles. Um, what do you think about this one? I think it's a really great move um, that they managed to bag that. My only question is um, how useful it actually is. Most people who I know who, who use Avios points do that through uh, credit cards, which tend to be for business expenses, which then obviously means um, or raises the question, are you going to have these kind of business expenses on your debit card? And then are you actually going to be collecting all these Avios points with your money's debit card? Um, maybe if they're really um, targeting these sort of digital nomads or, or, or international crowd, maybe they travel a lot and they might. But uh, I do struggle to understand why I would use this instead of an Amex that's linked to something. I like. know exactly why I would, because you know how many times I get told my Amex isn't accepted? <laughs> For Avio, to then, see you, what I mean. then you do what you do with your. If they don't have, have cash, then you go to another one. Yeah. Well, no, but, I mean, so for <laughs> you me, get somebody else to pay. Yeah. For it, so. <laughs> but for me, this is a really, really interesting tie-in, exactly as you say, because it's a, they're the first ones who've managed to, to to do this. Like a lot of the the digital banks have come out with kind of partnerships and rewards, and none of them are as appealing to me as yeah. my Amex is. Hundred percent. Yeah. But my Amex gets turned down, not because it's not money, and I should hasten to add, but because people <laughs> don't take Amex an awful lot of the time. Um, and also, you know, I don't necessarily use my Amex. Well, I, sorry, I use my, use my Amex personally. So I do use it at like John Lewis and ASOS and Just Eat um, when I can. Um, but if I can use my monies at all those merchants that you can collect Avios at but don't take Amex, it's suddenly a very attractive proposition. Hmm. So, But is it a strong enough proposition to differentiate from all the other challengers in, for me, in the space? Yes. Okay. And for friends of mine as well, I've spoken to, absolutely. It's the it, first one where they've kind of gone, oh, it's that's a reason to use it. Yeah, it's definitely weird what people will do for points. Yeah. Like, it really is. But, like, I guess this is off the back of um, $60 million raise for their Series B. Like, is this is this money's kind of changing who they're aiming at? Because, like, money's was originally for low-income immigrant population, and now we're kind of distributing Avios points as well. Does that not seem a bit weird? I don't know that, that it was low-income, their target audience. I think it was migrant workers in the sense, but I think those migrant workers were kind of developers coming from Spain to London in the right. sense of that they were still um, average or above-average earners. Okay. So I think it was more a case of... Um, so if you think about the story of their... Um, where they began, Norris Koppel came from Estonia to London to work in the technology industry yeah. and, and couldn't get a bank account. So I think actually it's probably more targeted at that. And to, to Max's point, I think they probably are global citizens who probably do fly a lot and probably do shop at John yeah. Lewis and eat an awful lot of Just Eat. Because yeah. all the, so, all the um, people who we hired who come from abroad, I always recommend, oh, you get them on ease. Um, and they aren't sort of low-income migrant workers. Um, so maybe, yeah. maybe that's a different target group now. 
You should have some sort of affiliate thing going there. Then. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. <laughs> literally, you ship in a bunch of developers, give them a monies and accounts. Yeah. You know, it sounds like now it sounds like you probably get a lot of Avios they, points. Yeah, for that, they should know? sponsor the visa sp- uh, in, in return. Maybe that'd be good. <laughs> it, it's an interesting move because for, for me, it's all about sort of viewing all these loyalty cards that I've got in one place would be a, would be a great thing to have. Um, and able to sort of do that earn and burn and view all in the same place would be a would be a great service. Mm. Um, I don't think that's been cracked yet. Um, it'd be interesting to see if this is a first step towards that. Um, it seems to imply uh, that's a sort of general direction for this. Um, but it's um, but the loyalty is one of those underplayed markets, I think, particularly for for digital. So Dude. it's a it's a good first step. Yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you ever heard of Bumped, U, U, US company? So what they do is a loyalty program as well, and you you get shares of the company you like. So you 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 buy an iPhone or you 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 uh, you go to Shell uh, for for your for your your gasoline, and you get fractions of shares of that company of the company you like. And as a reward point. As a reward point, yeah, but real shares. I, I, I love that idea. and I, I think Real that, shares that, or like fractions of fractions of fractions of shares? Obviously, those those fractions are very yeah. small, but f- fractions of real shares. Yeah. And that this is, this is I see some, I've seen some small startups in Europe who are going to offer this as well. That would be interesting. I think I've probably bought enough at the Apple store to have got, like got one share in Apple, you know, and it would have been worth it. It really would. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what we think anyway, but let's listen to what uh, money CEO Norris Koppel actually thought about this one. This is the world's first current account linkage with Avios, and uh, we believe that it uh, really offers a new and seamless financial and lifestyle management uh, service and uh, this is super helpful uh, if you are uh, always on the go if you are one of those uh, mobile people and um, what it really does is uh, once you have linked your uh, avios account with your monies account then uh, inside the app you will see an avios account you will see your account balance and also avios transactions and uh, whenever you have uh, collected avios in the world it will all uh, appear there and we believe that this uh, this simplifies and enables customers to uh, keep everything nice and neatly inside one app instead of using multiple apps or or chasing the points from everywhere else. This program was uh, created in collaboration with Moniz and Avios, uh, as we both support mobile people. Basically, we believe that this makes life easier. I would I would I would also like to highlight that. Uh, uh, we believe that this partnership is, is a natural fit because it uh, brings together two things that people uh, who collect Avios use. Is first of all, everyone needs a current account. This is what Moniz provides. And Avios collectors, obviously, uh, they use their Avios loyalty account. So we're bringing this all together. We believe that this is um, uh, makes customers' life uh, so much easier. And this has already been witnessed by the fact that I think when we when we launched in the first couple of hours already we had around 500 people who joined Moniz and connected their uh, obvious as well. So it's been so far a huge success already. But this is just a starting point. We wanted to go to market as quickly as possible. There is um, other uh, cool features coming uh, pretty soon in a couple of weeks, in fact. Uh, so first of all, which I think would be very useful, is that um, we enable a a card linkage to obvious as well. So what it means that if customer uses Moniz card anywhere uh, in any participating obvious stores, then uh, any points collected will be automatically and quite quickly transferred to uh, obvious balance. Uh, second is we are enabling uh, obvious exchange between Moniz customers. So if you have an obvious account and your family member has an obvious account, you can send obvious to each other uh, very easily. And uh, typically, in the, in the historically, it's been a little bit more complicated than that. And then one more thing is that uh, whenever you refer your friends to Moniz, uh, we are then able to pay a referral fee in obvious as well, which is quite cool. One question I have is, uh, is this an exclusive deal? Do we know that? Because if this is supposed to be a differentiation versus other new current accounts, and then Avios goes and does this with every other challenger bank, then 
obviously that erodes quite quickly. Know, to be It'll be interesting to see. Like one one point that um, Jason Bates actually made to me bizarrely very late night in a chicken place in Shoreditch last night, which uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm not really sure why. Um, but he said actually like um, Moneys have done a, an amazing job of actually being a profitable challenger bank. They are actually one of the few that have actually not just spending VC money, but actually have put their pricing up front and actually making money from this stuff. So it makes sense to me. And I, I think they don't necessarily get the plaudits that a lot of the other organizations actually do, um, but they are actually a business making money. So well done them. So I've just spotted something. Um, back in December, that $60 million, $60 million uh, funding round, Avios Group invested in monies. Oh, there you go. Uh, smart. Should have done my research earlier. Was it was it the sixty million all in Avios points then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Norris is going to be like flying first class around the world forevermore. Exactly. All right. Um, on that, we have our last story, and this one is quite an interesting one. So this is over on AltFi, Lithuania's top gear inspired strategy to become a fintech hub. Wonderful. I don't know if you've read this one, Sarah, but this is amazing. So uh, the fantastic start to this article. All we know is they are called the Stig. So Lithuania is now the second most popular European country for fintechs to start. Uh, the Minister of Finance said his aim is to continue the transformation of Lithuania into a hub of high-tech industry with a uniquely named strategy. So if you want to develop a high-tech industry, you definitely need to shift into a different gear. The top gear, yes, <laughs> uh, with a strategy that balances speed and security, and they call that the Stig strategy. So the Stig strategy stands for Start, Tax, Invest, and Growth. And I think Sarah's cringing so hard right now. Go on, Sarah. Tell us what you think about this one. I couldn't get any lower down in my seat if I tried. <laughs> um, I admire what Lithuania is doing. I admire that they are trying very hard to provide fertile ground for startups um, in in an environment where, where it's growing increasingly difficult, I think, for, for an awful lot of startups to, to get their footing across Europe. Um, I, I don't really watch Top Gear, so I have no idea what most of these references mean. Um, Jeremy <laughs> Clarkson, I, I find a particularly off-putting human being. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I wonder that they need to, to do this. Like, this is like a strange marketing strategy to me. Like, I already knew Lithuania was a good place for startups to go and was very supportive. I, I, I wonder what, what's behind this idea of branding it that what way. What are you talking about it? Yeah, so, so um, with Bucks, we went through uh, quite a, a cumbersome uh, licensing process with the, uh, the Dutch uh, regulator. Um, and uh, after a while, we were like, okay, maybe we have to look for alternatives. And there was this this physical letter of the Lithuanian uh, regulator on my desk, and I thought, let's give them a call. And actually, I was I was uh, actually I sent them an email, and I was emailed back. Uh, I re- my email was returned like in half an hour, and I had a meeting with with two specialists of the Lithuanian regulator in in three days. So I'm really, really, really impressed by by what they're doing, and they're 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 kind of seeing uh, a regulation as a business instead of a, a, as purely being a regulator. And I, I think so. So I'm I'm really impressed by what they're doing. Isn't this also where uh, Revolut got their banking license, yep. um, which so I, seems, seems to be yes. attracting some companies? I, uh, I think that might be part of the answer to your question of so why are they doing this ad campaign or trying to push it so much? Is that there is a lot of pushback in Lithuania at the moment. Yes. I think there is a lot, isn't there? And I think a lot of people in Lithuania are worried that essentially they're going to have a bunch of interesting companies that have nothing to do with Lithuania at all using their regulatory system to lend money uh, across Europe, uh, which if that all goes wrong and something goes pop, then... They don't want to be the next Iceland or something. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the point that Jason always makes about regulatory arbitrage. Like, um, you know, uh, the, the EU is quite hot on the fact that just because you're licensed in, say, Lithuania, it doesn't necessarily mean that you mean, theoretically, you can then operate, obviously, across the EU block. But his point is always that a lot of regulators don't like that idea. They look down upon regulators that do make it as easy as possible. I, I don't know how true that is. I've never spoken to anybody about, you know, getting re- licensed in Lithuania and then struggling to operate elsewhere. I, I, I don't think it shows a good sign of intent if essentially you're picking the easy easiest way to get your license because it's the easiest way to get your license does it it doesn't it's like somebody who'll just like buy a gun down the back of an alley type thing rather than going through all the process is it about being easy it can also be be about being efficient right definitely so uh, i i think that 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 efficiency and 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 prudence can very well go together if if you have the right processes in place so i think they're they're a kind of regulator 2.0 and like i said i i like them 
The, the, the thing that stood out to me, so that it said the second most popular European country for fintechs to start. So where was the first one? Is that it's, here? It's the UK, okay. yeah. So they're going to be the first soon then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By default. Like, I mean, I think I would just say yes. We, we go out on top. <laughs> Suddenly they're number one. Like they don't need to try anymore. But it's strange. There's an, in front of uh, or ahead of uh, Malta and Luxembourg. Yeah, it's if you. I I wrote a piece on this the other week, and um, it's if you if you go, if you look through. I mean, I say most popular. I don't think anyone's actually done a survey of who they really just like personally. But if you're just measuring it on number of regulated firms with sort of specialist fintech or sort of payments processes, it's the UK have about 160 odd big jump down to Lithuania on about 85 and then there's actually quite another gap down before I think it's Germany are next on like 60 something mm-hmm. interesting I think you've just done a cool wall I think that's what Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> would have referred to as uh, as the the cool wall of regulators <laughs> I did that well right Sarah no you don't know who that guy is do you no, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, All but right. I'm just going to nod and agree. Thank just, you. Just YouTube it later. Yeah. Right. The, the humor me look. I see that from my wife all the time and my children on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps up another week's FinTech Insider News show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about you? Uh, Nick? Um, I'm, uh, well, I'm on Twitter if anyone wants to follow me there, <laughs> uh, Nicholas McGaw. But um, otherwise, uh, ft.com slash banks will get me and all of my um, equally talented slash slightly more colleagues. More colleagues or more talented colleagues? One than the other. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Max? Um, most, of, most of my time is spent on Finomize, obviously. So Finomize.com, uh, either via website or at the App Store. And I'm also on Twitter, uh, Max Rafaga, or my handle is Whole Earth Web, which I explained on the last show. Which is very nice story. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm loving the T-shirt. I want one of those. Um, Nick? Yes, you, you might be aware that we're, we're soon we're launching a zero commission brokerage all over Europe. So have a look at stocks.getbucks.com. <laughs> Uh, and today is a very special day for us, actually, because we uh, we uh, passed the milestone of, of 100,000 uh, registrations uh, nice. for our new, uh, our new app. Yes, thank you. Very good. Damien? Uh, probably the best way is Twitter, so at Damien Fintech, um, or on LinkedIn. Very good. Sarah? On Twitter, at Sarah Koshansky. And for me, you can find me at David Breer on Twitter. Uh, what do you think of today's show? If you like it, let us know over on at Fintech Insiders. And if you don't, just don't bother, really. You know, like... You didn't have to listen the to this. The end of a hard right. day. I don't want complaints, really. I'm going to be honest with you. If you did like it, though, leave us a review over on iTunes. We really like listening. Uh, it's, no? We really like reading your reviews. Thanks. Been a long day. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.